Imagine a place of your own in your name, a place where all your stuff is, where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia Housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia Housing and see how home helps everyone. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I am really excited to bring this interview with Catherine Center, an incredible person and talented writer, out of the locked archives. She and I originally recorded this conversation five years ago. We had just seen each other at a conference. Her new book, How to Walk Away, had just come out. And she has been top of mind because she has a new book called Hello, Stranger Out. And it's worth noting that there aren't many authors for whom I have read every single one of their novels, and she is one of them. But this conversation is about more than books. It is about joy and optimism and the need to prioritize these things in life. And I feel like we all need more of that. And in fact, on a recent episode, I just was answering a listener question about quick mood boosts. You can find that mini edit in the catalog or the show notes for this episode. And I find every single one of Catherine Center's novels, the ultimate mood boost. There were a couple of things that I was reminded of in listening to this really wonderful episode. And the first is that I loved how she described her husband as naturally optimistic and resilient. She talks about how he identifies the tiny moments of good stuff amidst the hard, but not in a Pollyanna way. And I really identified with that personally, given that that is a key way that I survive the tough moments in life. And subsequently, one of the things about her writing process is that she is continually trying to teach herself to be more hopeful. I thought that was really, really cool. The other thing that I loved is that she talks about reading for joy versus obligatory reading. And this is something that I have thought a lot about this year. And I wrote about very early on in the year in a Substack essay called Making a Case for Slow Reading, which I will link up in the notes. So I hope you settle in, relax, and enjoy this wonderful conversation with Catherine Center, which we'll get to after a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oftentimes, when asked to think about what one would do with a bonus hour, people reference things like exercise, play, and rest. These are all super important things, and I would recommend adding getting the support you need and deserve to your list. As a mom, independent business owner, and human blessed with many relationships, I spend a lot of time giving. So one of the greatest gifts of therapy for me has been the ability to know that someone is holding space for and listening to me no filter required. I adjust my session frequency as needed, and it is a huge comfort knowing support is there for me. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. This online therapy platform was designed to remove the traditional barriers to therapy and make mental health care more accessible to everyone. Simply fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash edit. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days, I take Hyacera every morning with my first glass of water, and like all of the Ritual products I have tried, the capsule actually smells good. Ritual's products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Welcome, Catherine. I am so excited to finally have you on the podcast. Hello. (laughs) I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you today about a lot of things, but specifically around prioritizing happiness and joy. What strikes me is that somehow you manage to create happy endings. You seem very committed to them, but they are not tried at all. You still retain plenty of tension through the story arc. I'm just so curious, like, was this, how did you come to prioritize happiness in your stories in this way? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's been a conscious decision. And, and it's definitely, it definitely means sort of going against the grain. It certainly means going against a lot of my literary training. Um, because, you know, I think we live in a culture that is um, deeply suspect of happy endings and often regards them as pretty inauthentic. Um, I mean, I think we culturally have a kind of broad conception that you know, life is hard and we all die in the end. And that's not wrong. I mean, you know, I don't disagree. But what I also know about myself is that what I love in stories is what I need to write about. And I find that I personally am drawn to stories that are hopeful at the end, you know, and I don't necessarily need characters in stories that I read or write to get everything that they wanted. You know, I don't want it to be just an easy, um, happily ever after kind of a situation, but I want them to get enough of what they wanted for the story to be satisfying for me. And, um, and I think part of the reason that I want that so badly is that I am not naturally an optimistic person. (laughs) I mean, I, I mean, that's the thing. I'm kind of a reformed pessimist a little bit. Like it's very easy for me to go to a kind of nihilistic, very dark, hopeless place. Like I would say that's my first instinct whenever anything hard happens is just to be like, you know, 
here it is. Here's the evidence we all needed. We're all doomed. Like that's kind of where I start. And then I have to work my way back to a more hopeful place. Um, so it's funny because I, you know, I, and well, there's so many things to say about this, but you know, I married a guy who is naturally very optimistic and very resilient and, and very funny. And he's just kind of all about finding the good stuff in any situation. And, um, I've been with him for so long. I, I started dating him when I was 22. So we've been together, uh, over 20 years and I've just been astonished all the time that we've been together at how, how happy he is compared to most people. And I think that that happiness comes from that attitude of no matter how bad things are, he finds a way of locating the little good thing amidst all of the struggle or all of the hardship, you know, and it's not that he pretends that the hardship isn't there. He's not Pollyanna, you know, he acknowledges like, yes, this sucks. But then his very next sentence is always, but look what we get to do or, but look what we learned or, but, you know, here's the upside. That's and the, as I've watched, yeah, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just, as I've watched him do this over 20 years, it's, I've been astonished. Like, it's very easy for me to kind of get very dark about things very quickly and feel very hopeless. And uh, he's been kind of my example of another way of approaching things, like another framework of thinking about the world. And so, yeah, so that's one of the reasons that I write stories that are hopeful is because I am trying to teach myself how to be hopeful. Mm, that is that is really cool. And first, I have to say that, um, you know, I think that is your husband has a superpower there. And I think that's yeah. awesome. And yeah. um, and I think that is one of the great gifts of being in relationship, you know, with people who are, you know, we all have our differences. And when you can give each other gifts like that. I think that is, that's just magic. So that's awesome. Um, I just want to stay on this thread for a second though, because, you know, I agree with you. I think it is more the norm, you know, to kind of be compelled by or be lured in by pain and suffering. I mean, hello, right now I'm watching The Handmaid's Tale and it both makes me want, <laughs> it makes me want to barf, yet I cannot stop watching. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I feel like, of course, it's very effective to kind of, you know, tap into people's emotional center that way. And maybe that's easier, right. just the human condition, but it's actually very brave to choose joy and happiness. And it's, it feels to me in your writing, like a very mindful, like mindfulness and intentionality around happiness is, yeah. is sort of key to who you are. And then when I got to the end of how to walk away, I was just sort of blown away that this very thing sort of choosing, um, really being mindful and intentional about what to be happy about and sort of seeing those other little things, all the pieces of the puzzle is really a huge part of the journey for your heroine Maggie. So I, I just thought that was all awesome and very full circle. And I'm, I'm curious too, if you have experienced pushback in your career about that tactic. Um, I have so many things I could say in response to all the very smart stuff that you just I want to hear it all. I want to hear it. <laughs> It's like, I, I don't even know how to choose what, what to talk about. But so one thing I'll say is that um, I think you're absolutely right that 
it is a very common thing to tap into fear and anxiety and dread in a, in stories to hook people. Like, see, here's the thing. When you're writing a story and you need and you need to keep people hooked and you need to keep people turning the pages. One of the things you have to harness is anticipation. You have to make your reader anticipate what's going to come next. They need to be curious about what's going to happen in some part of the story. And that's what keeps people from putting books down. So it's, it's a really important thing to know how to do. Um, but one of the things that I've figured out in my many years of doing this is that there are different ways of creating anticipation. There are actually sort of two big ways. One of them is to create anticipation that is negatively valenced, Mm -hmm. which is basically dread, right? If you're worried about something bad happening, that's negatively valenced anticipation. And it's very easy to create negative anticipation in in a reader. You just drop little clues, you know, and we as readers know how to pick up on those clues. And then suddenly it's like, oh my God, that guy's going to have a heart attack, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, oh my God, that kid is going to go to jail for the rest of his life. And then you're worried about them. And then you keep reading to find out if you're right. You know, you keep reading because you're hoping that the bad thing doesn't happen, but you're also very worried that it will. But there's another way of creating anticipation, and that's to create positively valenced anticipation. And that is giving people the feeling that there's something good that's going to happen. Um, it's giving them something to look forward to, something positive to hope for. And I think a lot of literary fiction uses, uses dredge and worry. Um, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of genre fiction uses, I'm just coming up with this theory on the fly, so we may have, I may have to stop and think <laughs> about it, but a lot of genre fiction uses positively valence. So for, like, for example, now I'm going to digress and tell you that a few years ago, actually the year I turned 40, my agent um, sent me a romance novel as a present. She represents a lot of romance writers and um, it was one of her clients and it was like a bodice ripping romance. It was like exactly the kind of thing you see in the grocery store. And um, I had not really ever read a book like that before because my trajectory up until that point had always been very literary. So I was reading Kafka and Camus and, you know, trying to really do like hardcore literary reading all the time. And when I got this book, the year that I turned 40, I, I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll take a look, right? Because it's a present that came in the mail. So I started reading and like two hours later, I was in the car driving to Barnes and Noble to get another one. Wow. Yeah. Like I, I zipped through this book. I had so much fun. And I felt honestly like a person who had spent her entire life eating boneless, skinless chicken breast. <laughs> and I had just discovered chocolate cake. Like that's, <laughs> that's what that experience was like for me. It was so profound. It was huge. And it was, it was good timing because I had just made an agreement with myself my 40th year that I was not going to read any books that I felt like I should read. I was only going to read books that I wanted to read. Um, I had to, like my pact with myself was that I had to feel a tug of curiosity. I wasn't just going to read a book because everybody else was reading it that year. That was my sort of 40th birthday thing that I was doing. And once I read that romance novel, that was all I wanted to read. So I spent basically like a full year reading nothing 
but bodice ripping romance novels. That's amazing. And I had, <laughs> I had so much fun. I had so much fun. And I was really very preoccupied with it for a long time. Like, what's going on here? Like, this is not my normal reading material. Why is this so, why is this pulling at me so hard? And one of the things I figured out was that it's because those stories are positively valenced. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you are guaranteed a happy ending in a romance novel. So no matter how bad things get, even if the hero and the heroine are thrown into a snake pit by pirates, it's going to be okay in the end. And you know that. It's a guarantee of the genre, you know? And so what you find yourself doing when you're reading those books is feeling happy and excited because you know that at some point in that story, these two people are going to figure out they love each other. Somebody's going to get naked. There's going to be fun. You know, there's fun on the horizon. There's something to look forward to. Well, and so that was really helpful to me as a reader to figure out that I really like that. I like having something to look forward to in a story. And I will tell you that, you know, adult life has a lot of worry. You know, once you have kids, I mean, that's, they never tell you that before you have kids, right? How much you're going to worry about them. And I have, you know, I'm a championship worrier from a long line of worriers, very good at it. And I don't, but I don't like that feeling. I don't like that, that television static feeling that you get in your chest when you are worried about your kids or your husband or your sisters or your parents, you know, there's, once you become an adult, there's so much to worry about, even yourself that I found that once I knew there was another option, I just, when I had free time, when I had like a free Saturday morning, when I could just curl up and read, I wanted to read something that made me feel happy. That gave me something to look forward to and didn't have dread involved. Well, yeah. So so I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm talking so much because you've asked me about this topic that I have thought about a lot. But the one thing I'll say is that once I kind of made that little discovery, you know, I don't write romance novels, but I do always put a love story in the stories that I'm writing. I mean, my genre is, I guess, technically women's fiction. And really the kind of, there are many, there are always like a romance novel is really the main thread of the story is, is the love story. And in the books that I write, there are many different threads kind of going through it. But one of them is always a love story. And, and I think discovering romance novels helped me figure out why that is. And it's because love is joyful. You know, finding love, finding that kind of very profound human connection with another person is joyful, like unabashedly joyful. And, and I'm always trying to figure out how to get joy on the page. And that's a, like a really fun and beautiful way of doing it. Oh my that. gosh. Get so joy we, on the page. We need to put that on a t-shirt for you. That is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately, that's really what I'm trying to I do. I think that's, yeah, that's amazing. Capture that. So, yeah. So that's, so that's, so for me, it's been a deliberate decision to try and use anticipation that is positive to pull people through the story to help get joy on the page. Like that's what I'm trying to do. And yes, there's definitely, there's definitely, um, it's, it's not that there's pushback exactly, but, um, there's a kind of broad cultural assumption that love stories are not as important as war stories or, you know, that joy is not as important as suffering or that if you give a happy ending, that's by definition inauthentic and cheap and false. I mean, I think we all absorb some of those lessons in our high school English classes that like, unless you're writing about human misery, you're really not 
writing about something that matters. And I just fully disagree with that. I think writing about joy matters just as much as writing about misery. Agreed. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Well, okay. I have two things to say and I hope I remember them both. The first is that, um, to loop back to your point that, well, for me, you know, novels are, it's like my place to escape. It's, it's, it's like blissful time. And so, yes, I read a lot of like hard and dark things, but I have found lately, especially given our current political climate, I just, it's almost too hard. Like I need, I need now I know the term for it. I need something, you know, positively valenced. So (laughs) I'm just, I'm like so glad about that. And then, uh, and now I know that that's an official thing, which makes me feel really good. Well, I made, I mean, I kind of made it up, like applying it to literature was like, this thing that I figured out. Um, I mean, it's a psychology term, but I think it's really useful. And I wish we could change the conversation around. Well, we're doing it right now. So yay, go us. (laughs) Okay. Well, my second second thing thing was, I also wanted to just um, underline several times where, you know, you're saying um, where you were pointing out that, you know, your novels will have, there'll be many threads. It's not, you know, the love story and that sort of, you know, the joyful thread you're, you're pulling through people through with, that's that's just kind of one one piece of it because I want to say that you know how to walk away. I mean, uh, there was there was a lot of self discovery for this this character yeah. going on, and so I really yeah. I really just want to um, press upon listeners that there's a lot to that book. I mean, there's a lot to all of your books, yeah. and so I'm going to link all of them up, and I hope people go and buy all of them because there's there is a lot there. You're not just you know it's it's as I, I, and I also love that, you know, there was an unexpected lesson for you in reading romance novels, but your books are not just a romance yeah. <laughs> story. There's a lot going on. And uh, uh, yeah, the thing I'll say is that, I mean, I generally, we call them, we call them bittersweet comedies. We kind of made up that category for them. But um, one of the things that I'm trying to do with the stories is write about, I mean, I would say the main thing that I'm trying to do is write about how we get back up. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing that I'm just sort of constantly fascinated by in the human psyche. And, and part of the reason I'm fascinated by it is because I am not great at it. You know, I'm easily discouraged. And when bad things happen, it's very easy for me to just lie on the floor and be like, I'm done, I'm out. And so, you know, kind of like with the joy and the happiness stuff that I was talking about earlier with my husband, I'm trying to teach myself about resilience. I mean, I definitely, these are always stories about resilience. They're about, they're stories about how we can make things better even in the face of hard stuff. So usually my stories start pretty quickly with something really hard that's happened where it kind of shatters somebody's life in some way. And then the rest of the story is about how that person puts her life back together, you know, in the wake of it. Because again, I like to write stories about how things get better. There are plenty of stories in the world about how things get worse. I think that that territory is well covered. And, um, but I'm just trying, that's what I'm trying to write for my own self, you know, for my own human encouragement. So yeah, they are stories of personal transformation and personal growth in the face of hard things is really what they are. So wonderful. Imagine a place of your own in your name, a place where all your stuff is, where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia housing and see how home helps everyone.
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Okay, so I have a few more questions I want to ask you. I want to be mindful of your time because we're both kind of doing the summer, like, where are we kind of juggle. Um, (laughs) Okay, this is a bit of a superficial question, but I need to ask because I also need to point out something really big about how to walk away. And my question is this, I really need to know where you were (laughs) and how you reacted when you learned that your latest novel, How to Walk Away, made the New York Times bestseller list. Because I mean, OMG girl. like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a pretty great day. Um, So... When that happened, it was not long after the book came out. It was actually um, How to Walk Away hit the New York Times bestseller list the same week that it went on oh sale. Gosh. So it, it's technical, like technically the category is instant New York Times bestseller, which are like the most beautiful words in the English language. Um, and I was at the time doing a little kind of mini book tour of Texas. And I, it was it was actually exam time in for my kids. So my kids were home finishing up the school year and I was driving around Texas with my mom. And that day was super crazy because um, I had found out I had been in Dallas and then I found out that my son was getting the citizenship award at his school. And my plan had been to drive from Dallas straight over to San Antonio for my next event. But when I found out that my son was getting this award, I didn't want to miss it. So I got up at like five in the morning. And I drove from Dallas down to Houston, which is basically a right angle, and then stopped in Houston, went to the ceremony at his school, and then got back in the car and hightailed it over to San Antonio. So it was this mm-hmm. crazy day of driving. I was just on the freeway the whole time with one brief award ceremony break, and I just peeled into San Antonio into this gorgeous hotel called the Hotel Emma. If you are ever in San Antonio, please stay there. Please, please, please. It's gorgeous. And um, we had just pulled into this hotel and gotten our suitcases and kind of walked into the room. And I got this phone call from my fantastic editor um, at St. Martin's. I was at Random House for four books. And then I moved over to St. Martin's, which is part of Macmillan. And that's where I've been happiness for beginners. And this book and hopefully all my other books, because I love them so much, are at this publishing house, St. Martin's. And they called me and, you know, the phone rang. I had had my phone off while we were driving and they had been trying to get in touch with me and I don't have email on my phone because, you know, I'm easily confused. So, you know, I'd been sort of, you know, off the grid all day and they'd been trying to call me and sending me emails. And then finally we get to the hotel, I turn on my phone and it it like rings like two minutes later and it's 
and it's them. And my editor says, are you sitting down? And I was like, I I can be. (laughs) And so I literally physically sat down and they had put me on speakerphone and, um, yeah, they told me that I had hit the bestseller list and we cheered and jumped around and it was just the most astonishing thing. I mean, because I've been doing this for 11 years now. I mean, my first book came out in 2007 and it's now 2018 and um, I've never hit the bestseller list before. Every year we we hope that that'll happen and this was the first time that it's happened. And so it was really, I mean, I think that I really can appreciate, you know, what it means. Um, because I've been around for so long and I've seen so many moments of hope and moments of discouragement along the way that like, I was really ready to savor that moment. And I, I actually got to go right after that. I was on my way to a bookstore, a very cute bookstore in San Antonio called the twig. And I got to like walk down, um, to the twig and sort of make this lovely announcement to this fantastic group of folks who were there, including Jenny Lawson. Um, who came to the reading and we all got to cheer and jump around. And then Jenny came up to me after the reading and she was like, this is so great. They can never take this yes. away from you. And I was like, That's great. She was like, for the rest of your life, you will have this title. And I, was like, I have a it. huge smile on my face because I just, I mean, you just deserve it so much. <laughs> I just, I almost want to cry. Thank it's you. like, so, <laughs> so like just what you want for talented people. And then I love that you saw Jenny, who is also a New York times bestselling author. She's a, yeah, she's a number one New York. So times I just, author. I love it. Very I love impressive. it. It is so great. And actually the perfect segue to my next question, which is, um, and you've already mentioned Jenny, so I'll link her up already and you don't have to mention her if you don't want to, but I would love if you have a couple of favorite women writers who you'd like to share. I just, you and I specifically have talked about how it's so, so crucial to support women writers. Um, And then also this is partially selfish because I'm in a bit of a book slump right now. I actually just picked up How to Walk Away (laughs) and to read it again last night (laughs) because I was unhappy with the other book I was reading. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, you know, I... I have a lot of women writers who I love and I've, I, um, I've actually been in a little bit of a nonfiction sort of phase lately. So I'll, I'll include a couple of nonfiction people. Um, so I love, I just, well, I just this summer read a book by Ellen Hildebrand. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's a beach book. It's got a picture of a beach on the cover and it's, you know, it's in target right now. And I just saw it when I was shopping and I was like, that looks like fun. And it's actually called The Identicals, and it's about identical twins. Um, and my grandmother was an identical twin, so I I grabbed it right away. And um, you know, it it was it was a it was my first book of hers to ever read, and I really enjoyed it. It's about um, these two sisters whose lives are kind of falling apart in different ways, and they're identical twins, and they wind up kind of switching places in their lives, kind of by accident. Um, but I. I I found it very gripping and it's set on Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. Like these two sisters live on these different, these two little different towns right near each other. And I found that when I was done reading, I felt like I had just been in Nantucket where I've never actually been, but it was fun. I felt like I had just gone to the beach. So I recommend that one as a, like, as a very fun beach read. It was satisfying and, um, and good. I love Jojo Moyes and I love Leanne Moriarty. Um, I, I discovered Leanne Moriarty's book, um, the 
what's it called? The Husband Secret. It came out the same year that my book, The Lost Husband, oh, came out, like right around yeah. the same time. And people kept getting them confused. And so I would, I would go to book clubs after my book, The Lost Husband, came out. And often there would be like at least one person at the book club who had bought the wrong <laughs> book. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. So she got on my radar that way because I was like, I think I need to read this book that everyone thinks is my book. And I loved um, The Husband's Secret. I mean, it was just so complicated. I love the way she gets inside people's heads. I mean, I think that one of the superpowers of, of fiction is that, and one of the reasons why I think novels are really better than movies in a lot of ways is that they allow you to really go inside the characters. You're not just seeing the surface. You're not just seeing the actions and the things that they're doing. Like a good novel can take you, can like put you inside another person. And I thought um, The Husband's Secret did that so well. I just felt like I was inhabiting all these characters and I just, I just loved it. That's fantastic. Um, and then uh, I, I love Kristen Hanna. You guys, a lot of people have read The Nightingale. Um, she actually has my same editor and she has a new book out um, called The Great Alone, um, which, you know, it's great to come across something that's so, um, so gripping and so powerful. She's really got a way of like pulling you in and holding on to you. Um, oh my God, my list is so long. I'm actually, I wrote down some, some things for you because I wanted to make sure to get good people. And um, I also want to mention that I had a lot of fun just recently um, listening to Carrie Fisher's mm. audiobooks. Um, I, I love, I, I like to read fiction on the page. I, I need to see the words and I want to see how they work. But uh, I love to listen to nonfiction as audiobooks, especially when the writer gets to read the audiobooks. Like, I love to hear the writer's voice. And so I, um, this spring, I wound up binging on Carrie Fisher's, uh, she has three memoirs, and they all have hilarious titles. One's called uh, Wishful Drinking, and <laughs> one's called Shockaholic, and one is called The Princess Diarist. And that was after she found her diaries from back when they were shooting um, uh, Star Wars. And so anyway, she, she's such a good reader when she reads these audiobooks. You just feel like she's just sitting there talking to you. It's like you're driving around in your car and your invisible friend, Carrie Fisher, <laughs> is hanging out with you in the passenger seat. They're so fun to listen to. I was very sad when they were. Oh, over. wow. What a great roundup of recommendations. And I'll fire, uh, I'll fire a quick one back to you if this is not already on your list. But I have recently become totally obsessed with Min Jin Lee, Korean. Well, you know, hey, Korean, I have to support. But I read um, <laughs> Free Food for Millionaires and also Pachinko in the last year. And they, they blew my mind. Um, so I would recommend, okay. if you haven't I'm read them sold. yet, definitely recommend them. I haven't. Yes, yeah. that's great. Yeah, you're Thank welcome. You. I didn't expect to give you a wreck, but I, I just, those books were top of mind for me. <laughs> so Catherine, I could talk to you all day, but we do need to wrap the show. So I wanted to end with yeah. something I call your next edit, which is a practical, actionable thing that listeners can do next. And I would love to hear what your next edit is in relation to prioritizing joy and optimism. Yeah, you know, there's, in my last book, which is called happiness for beginners. Um, the main character is trying to kind of pull herself out of a funk. And one of the things she learns to do from a friend of hers during the course of the story is to 
start a practice called Three Good Things. And um, basically, her friend tells her that if she can just every day at some point during the day, like right before bed, um, try and just take a minute to scroll back through the day and pull out three good things that happened that day, even tiny little ones, even stuff like, you know, walking along and seeing a little tiny, beautiful flower, you know, even little stuff doesn't have to be huge, that it would change her life. And so that happens in the book, but it happens in the book because I read about it in a book about happiness that, um, that I read when, you know, just coincidentally, as I happen to be working on happiness for beginners and it's a real kind of psychological principle of looking for three things every day that are good, even tiny little things. And I was trying it myself at the time, because again, not a natural optimist. Um, and I found that it really works. I mean, it really, it's really helpful. And I think one of the reasons that it works is because it is so easy in life to get focused on the things that we need to solve, you know, the problems and the troubles and the hard stuff that we've got to figure out. And it's so easy in life to just let the good things sort of float past us and kind of ignore them and not even register them because good things don't need your Mm -hmm. attention in that same way that problems do like problems have to be solved. And so it's very easy to focus on the problems and all the things you have to solve and to forget to even register all the little good things that are floating past you all the time. And I, I really believe that life is both, you know, it's always both. You're never going to solve all your problems and just be blissfully happy every minute of the day. But it's also true that even when things are really hard, when you're really going through something dark and really struggling, there are also good things, even if it's just, you know, cupcakes. Those are good things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or like a gentle breeze, you know? And so I think what doing this, and and so I try to do that three good things practice. And I think what's great about it is that it trains you to look for good things. You know, it, it trains you to remember to keep looking. And I, I sometimes feel like I've got like a little sort of mental knapsack and I'm just, you know, you don't even have to do anything with them. You're just walking along and you just notice them and you just put it in the knapsack. And for me that it's been kind of very life-changing because it helps me balance out all the the hard stuff that life forces you to pay attention to. It just kind of provides this lovely little counterweight and it just, it, it brightens the whole sort of situation that you're in. It, I've, I've found it to be very life-changing. Well, so that's I think my that is perfect. I think that's the perfect way to close this conversation. Catherine, I, yeah. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time this summer, amidst the summer craziness and amidst the craziness of, you know, the flurry of book activity to talk to me today. This was just such a joy and it truly filled me up. Friends, wasn't that conversation just delightful? I hope you are looking forward to prioritizing joy and optimism in your life. You'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. Real truth alert. Pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. 
I wish it were. But the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.